So here we all are in, in Lent. Got up this morning and uh, there's a change from the blue shirt to the, to the black shirt. And on Sunday we'll have the change to the purple stole from, from the green stole. And tonight we all entered in in, in silence, a sort of sombre, sombre uh, reverence. I wonder if for some of us the idea of, of Lent and the practice of this season might be quite new. May not have grown up with, with it. And, and I, I wonder, well, I wonder how you're experiencing today. And I wonder what your thoughts are as we prepare to enter into the next 40 days. I remember I was uh, at lunch with a group of other pastors uh, about seven or eight years ago. And at this lunch, uh, a, a dear friend of mine was asked by one of the other pastors, he said, well, what are you giving up for Lent this year? And my friend, who was from a non-liturgical background, sort of looked at them with this odd look in his face, and he said, well, grace? As though the mere practice of the giving up of something would somehow slipping into a workspace righteousness that no proper Christian who knew they were saved would ever possibly do. I sort of sat there, and it was kind of a cross between a laugh and a cringe. And you would have thought about it. There was, in some ways, it was a problem with the question that was asked. And when it's such a, a common one, we were, what are you giving up for Lent? And maybe that's the way we approach it, these things that we, we give up and we strive towards trying to get through the whole 40 days. And I want to suggest that maybe there's a couple of problems with that, and there may be a better approach to it. First problem is maybe it puts too much on ourselves and we think about, I don't know, is there, is there a chance to become almost smug and though well, I'm giving up my coffee or my chocolate and I've got through the end of it. Good on me. Or maybe a despair when I struggle to give up something that would be a luxury for most of the world and I can't get rid of it for 40 days. Maybe I'm despairing about it and it just makes me feel worse and more inadequate. And you're thinking about that and maybe the problem with what are you giving up? As I was reading Psalm 103 this week, it resonated with me and I thought it offers us something uh, here on this Ash Wednesday and as we look forward uh, to the Lenten season. I like Psalm 103 because in some ways the, the psalmist looks and as he he kind of picks up, I looked at this, echoes of the Shema in it. You know, there's this wholehearted love of God in all our life. This idea about remembering God. This idea, tell about God's words, you know, when you're sitting and, and when you're walking. And in the morning and in the evening and in your personal life by uh, having it tied onto you, to your hand or, or uh, written and tied as an eyelet over your forehead. And then in... In your home, having it on your door frames, and in your communities uh, on the gates. And the story is basically saying, hey, get liturgical on it. Remember this. Remember these things. Keep it near. And I look at that, and I think the psalmist, in many ways, as he's um, exhorting himself, bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that's within me. Bless the Lord. A wholehearted devotion to this one true God. He comes, he says, well, remember, 
I'm going to say there's four things within this psalm. And so as he um, remembers, the psalmist is going to do it by song. But I think he sets up maybe an interesting way we could look at it and say, instead of what we're giving up, I wonder if a better question is, as we start on this Ash Wednesday and we look forward to the season of Lent, maybe it's a case of asking ourselves, what are you remembering this Lent and how will you go about doing it? What do you need to remember this Lent and how will you go about doing it? The psalmist does this and it's in the form of a song. Let's start off the, um, the first thing. If you have um, your scriptures with me, turn to, to Psalm 103. And after this exhortation to, to bless the Lord, first one he, what's today he, says, what he uses, forget not the Lord's benefits. Remember the benefits of the Lord. And he starts off this, what, what are these benefits? Well, in the, the first um, verses 1 through 5, it says maybe to an individual. He looks to himself and it expands out from there as well and says in the remembering of, of Yahweh, remember that the benefits to the whole covenant community as well. Remember this isn't just about self, although it is, but it goes wider into the community. And he, and he starts off, he says, remember his benefits. He forgives all your sin. Remember the Lord forgives sin. In the, in the psalm, he uses all three of the Old Testament words for sin. Iniquity, sin, and transgression. This reminder that as far as the east is from the west, it's how far he removes them from us. He goes on, he says, He heals all your diseases. I think that's not just a medical term there, but it's in a broader, it's almost, he, he will heal the whole sickness of creation. Put right what is wrong. Put right all the fractures that have happened from our disobedience. And then at the end he says he will uh, redeem your life from the pit. This great rescue. See the centrality of this forgiveness on offer if we'd receive it. It's a beautiful progression, I think, out of this true reality as well. It's a forgiveness that heals. It's a forgiveness that redeems life from threatening death. And a forgiveness so adorned with the steadfast love and compassion that it makes it possible to experience life as good again. And the result that life is renewed... And the psalmist, he says, hey, just, it's your remembering. Remembering the benefits of the Lord. And that kind of gets us to the core of Ash Wednesday because the starting off place for this the journeying and if this focus on unforgiveness, this forgiveness that ultimately ends up in a call to life, we've got to remember our need. Frankly, it's so easy to go through, and we, we forget that. We forget to remember the benefits of the Lord because we don't recognize our need for them. We go on about our own life, and we put our focus not on the Lord, our hearts 
love is uh, drawn to other things, other objects of desire, and over time we liturgically forget through the patterns of our lives, the patterns of our thoughts, patterns of our habits, and the way we use our, our resources. And so we have to start, and in the psalmist 14 to 16, he says, but God knows what we're made of. We forget, but the Lord remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. So we start off this journey in Ash Wednesday remembering our mortality, our frailty, that, that we're dust. I used to do a lot of speaking in, in schools. This one school I was invited at once, and I, I started off, I don't know why I did, but uh, I started off and basically shared with them the senior class and basically told them, you're going to die one day. And this girl stood up. And she stood up. She was so, um, I think, stunned by it. And she looked at me and said, you mean you came here just to tell us that we're going to die one day? Kind of nodded and carried on. There's an aspect in standing here tonight. It takes me back to that time. Sarah said, hey, we're all going to die. Surprise. And it's a reality and it's a helpful place to start. It's a sobering place to start. But it's a freeing place to start, to start maybe in the, in the end in mind. I certainly remember in my own life, I was bulletproof, a 25-year-old, thought I could do anything and just had no direction. And out of the blue, one of my closest friends, I was killed in an accident overseas. There's a sudden realization of, of mortality, um, that I wasn't indestructible, that uh, as Simon says, remember your dust, to dust you'll return. In perspective. Ash Wednesday does this. I mean, so often when we, we think the alternative to that is I, I forget that and I elevate myself into some sort of godly nature. I put myself on the throne, myself as sovereign, and go about my business and make myself the center of, of my life. And it's an orientation uh, inward. Maybe at its worst, it, it results in sort of a hedonism where I just have to cram in everything, you know, suck the marrow out of life and do everything I possibly can through a bucket, line, bucket list. Um, maybe I'll get that out of it. But remembering with dust remembers our creatureliness and it remembers that we have a creator that we're dependent on. And the psalmist says, remember Remember this. Tonight, when we come together, the way we'll remember that, what are you remembering tonight and how are you going to go about it? We're going to remember it by the imposition of ashes on our forehead. We'll hear the words, from dust you were formed and to dust you'll return. As we do it, it's an expression of, of, of penitence, of recognition of the ways that we've fallen short, recognition of our creatureliness and why we need the benefits that the psalmist has just laid out. And really that's the, 
then if it's central to the psalm and the reason we can be here and although somber and although um, penitential and reflective, the reason we can do it with any sort of hope at all is the third point, and it's central to the, to the whole psalm. He's saying, remember the steadfast, covenant, faithful love of God. Four times through the psalm, he wants to repeat this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That this, remember the steadfast love of God. Remember the way he's shown his ways and his character. He's revealed himself. Remember the character of God. This God who hasn't given up on us. This steadfast love that, well, how do we remember that tonight? Well, yes, we remember our mortality by the imposition of ashes, but we remember the steadfast love of God to us. And in spite of that fact, we put them on in the shape of a cross, where we see the depths of God's love, the, the lengths that he would go to, the, the full expression of his yes to us and his yes to his creation on, through Jesus and and on the cross. And so we marked with that. I was thinking, you didn't think you were going to get away with a, a kind of Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday cross, with at least one, one kind of reference here. There's one I want to think of. As I was thinking about the, this extent of covenant, faithful love, and the, just being in, in awe of it, about Valentine's Day. I wonder how many people have Tinder app tonight and are swiping right or left looking for that sort of love. Tinder, it's an app where you get people basically come up as faces and you can judge them by what you can see and you can swipe right to accept and if you don't like the look of them, you can swipe left. And it requires two people swiping right to have that uh, match and chance to connect. And I think about that and I think, well, if Given the way that we look at people and judge people, could you imagine like being a sovereign God who knows all, knows his creatures and can sees? If we were to come up on the screen tonight and you take a look and you say, wow, look at that person. Look at the magnitude of, of their sin. Look at the extent of their infidelity. Look at their unfaithfulness. Look at that guy. He can't even get through 40 days without that thing. Look at his self-centeredness. Imagine if we had that sort of knowledge and before it. There is no way we would swipe right. I hope. And yet there's... Here, if you just let that illustration take its work, there's this God who, knowing his creatures, knowing our fallenness, in this incredible, faithful, covenant, steadfast love towards us, gives the ultimate swipe and lets us all know in advance so it's not some mystery. Oh, I wonder if this person swiped right or am I just showing my cards? No, no, it's, it's declared for all. Right swipe. Right at the start. For you. In all your muck and in all your shame and in all your infidelity and faithlessness, God in Jesus and through the cross gives the ultimate right swipe and says yes to his people, yes to his creation. And we mark it with a sign of the cross 
remembering in all our creatureliness and mortality the benefits that we have received through God's faithful, steadfast love. And then in concluding, the psalm he looks and he talks, well, if, if this is us and we're like grass that withers and fades away, well, the Lord is everlasting. He is sovereign on the throne from eternity to eternity. It's the complete opposite. And he says, remember, we're going to remember the sovereignty of God and observe his precepts. In verse 19, 18, of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Praise the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, in all the places where he rules. The psalmist is telling us here today and in response to this great God, remember his precepts in all areas that he rules. And as we enter Ash Wednesday and in the season of Lent, it's a chance to think about that, not what we're giving up maybe, but what are you remembering this land, and how will you go about it? God is sovereign over all aspects of our lives. If he swiped a great big right to us, in which areas are we swiping left? He's saying God is sovereign over all of creation, over all the care. Swipe right back in all areas in response into this call to life. So as we close, I just want us to reflect on it in a couple of things. How will you remember this Lent and how will you go about it? Here's some thoughts I've had as I prayed through. In this, in this season as we turn back to the Lord and his ways, we could remember that we're called into community and not to personal autonomy. How will we remember that this Lent? Joining as the body of Christ, as the family of God on Sunday, gathering and being the bride. We'll remember we're called into community and created for community through neighbourhood groups, through radical hospitality. Might remember our need to hear from God amidst the competing voices of the world. How will we remember that this Lent? Well, we do it by silencing our TV screens, social media accounts and phones, remembering we need that word that brings us life, the word of blessing. Wonder if this Lent we need to remember that generosity is a reflection of the image of God, the character of God. Our God is generous, withholds no good from his people. And as I reflect and I remember that this Lent, how will I do that? Well, it might be 
recognizing the ability to live a more simple life. Simplicity, using less resources for myself in a way that enables me to reflect the generosity of God to neighbors through almsgiving. This Lenter, we might identify that we want to remember the importance of prayer, the fact that we have a God who listens, who invites us to be with them, to hear our requests, to hear praise, to hear our concerns, for listening. How will we remember that? Perhaps it's through the daily office, in one of the daily prayers. May we put the reminder for that on our phone, if we remind ourselves through our calendars and through Surrey and all sorts of other ways for other aspects, maybe we can use it as a reminder uh, of our, our need for prayer. When at this Lent do we need to remember that it's God who satisfies our deepest desires and our deepest longings, and that it's God who will meet us in the midst of our pain and brokenness. How might we go about remembering these things? Perhaps we'd go about remembering by refraining from the things that we do to tune us out to our pain or to remove us from it or anaesthetize us from the feelings so we don't recognize it anymore. Perhaps we recognize areas where instead of acknowledging brokenness and struggle and putting it before the Lord and asking the Spirit to enter into this and to reflect and to pray, to share in community and to let the Lord work in that area we've closed off. Maybe it's a case of recognizing ways that instead we've tried to escape these thoughts through television or travel or food, anything maybe in this next 40 days. We need to remember the covenantal love of God and its centrality in our marriages. We need to remember the benefits of this steadfast love as the means of forgiveness and healing and rescue from trouble. How will we remember this Lent? beginning and ending with the gospel each day. The God in his faithful covenant love has forgiven us, provides the response for us to um, respond to others. Maybe lastly, we to remember God's sovereignty in a season of waiting or wilderness or trial. How might we do that? Maybe retelling the stories of God's past faithfulness, reading the Psalms, back into community, testifying, remembering as the psalmist has done. I love the model of the psalmist here that he gives us. Now, what are you giving up this Lent? But in response to God's love and his call to life, what do we need to remember? And how are we going to go about it? It starts tonight and this Ash Wednesday. And the first thing that we do is to remember our mortality. 
Remember our need for forgiveness, our need for healing. How will we do it? We do it through the imposition of ashes, but in the mark of the cross, God's sign of his ultimate swipe right, his faithfulness towards us.